Well, that is really, really cool, and I'm glad that you were able to be here today to hear uh, Betsy and, and uh, Caitlin following the service, service today. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a meeting to be able to uh, uh, talk about some short-term mission trips. And uh, we got two or three of those uh, for the summertime coming up, and uh, uh, we want to give you opportunity to be able to be a part of that. Arthur, did you select a place for that? Do you want it to be here down front? With that? Okay, uh, we'll be right down here uh, after the second service. And uh, so if you're interested in, in knowing about those short-term mission trips, uh, one uh, will be in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we're looking uh, at uh, being with Caitlin and, uh, and Haiti, and then also a possibility of being in, uh, in uh, Honduras. And so if you're in interested in any of those trips, uh, I just encourage you to, uh, to be here. Uh, after the second service, right down front, uh, for just a few minutes, and that would be great. Well, the title of my message this morning is God's Night of Eternal Joy. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, because in the Gospel of Luke uh, is the second scripture that I, I've uh, been reflecting on over the last several months, uh, planning on this series of sermons, and wanting to share with you, uh, from God's perspective of eternity, His heart on Christmas as Jesus uh, was born. Now, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 8 through uh, 19, there's an incredible story uh, about the shepherds that come to see Jesus uh, the, the night that he was born. And this is the way it goes. It says, and there were shepherds, and this is verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had spread the word concerning, when they had seen him, I'm sorry, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things uh, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard and seen, which they had just been told about. Now this morning there are two, uh, two ways, uh, or sources rather, of eternal joy that are identified section of scripture. And I just want to give them to you this morning as we study through this section. You might have your notes section out and the program, take some notes on the message and that'd be cool if you'd like to do that. And uh, but turn to the passages, a couple of them that we're going to be studying today. Two sources of eternal joy. The first source of eternal joy that's described in this uh, section of scripture is finding the Savior. When you personally find the Savior and make him Savior of your life, there is eternal joy. Now that's what we read about in verse 9. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, because I bring you good news 
of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, there's several standout words in this section of Scripture that I want you to highlight in your Bible. First of all, in verse 8, is the word shepherds. Shepherds. Now, every single day, I start my uh, morning, one of the very first things I do in my quiet time, uh, during my prayer time, uh, I have a, a, a prayer app uh, on my tablet that provides for me a different uh, unreached people group somewhere in the world. People uh, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, or at least has never been presented them to them in a way that they could uh, reasonably accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. And it's all around the country, and sometimes it'll be uh, even here in North America or groups in Europe, uh, Africa or, or India, places uh, around the globe, in China, various different places. I am oftentimes uh, just uh, amazed uh, by the descriptions that are given about the people groups. One of the things that I found, have found very, very interesting, especially when they're describing uh, people groups in the, in the nation of India, uh, is the high level of the poorest of the poor who have never been reached with the gospel. Never heard about Jesus as Savior of their life. These are individuals that have been put down all of their lives, who have no opportunity in our culture. If you work hard enough, you can get an education and become anything you want to do. But in a, a, a Hindi culture, the caste that you're in is the caste that you will always be. A caste is an economic level. It's a social level. And the caste that you're in is the caste that you're always going to be in. If you're in a high caste, you'll always be high. You'll always be wealthy, have opportunity for education. But if you're in one of the lower castes, you'll never have that opportunity. It saddens me when I read about individuals, especially in India, that are in those lower castes, realizing that they will never have any hope whatsoever in this life of growing out of the circumstances that they are in. But what saddens me even more is the fact that most of them have never heard that Jesus Christ died on a cross, that Jesus Christ rose again. Friends, I want you to understand that just like the shepherds of this story, there are so many outcasts around us. Just like the shepherds of this story who were smelly and by the very nature of their work were unclean, they couldn't worship in the temple or the tabernacle because they worked with animals. Because of the jobs that they had, everyone looked down upon shepherds. They weren't songs, uh, there weren't songs sung about them. They weren't held in high esteem. They were the lowest of the low. Think about the individuals around you today in our society that we would consider the lowest of the low. Perhaps homeless individuals. Perhaps someone suffering with AIDS, HIV. Perhaps someone who's lost job after job after job. Perhaps someone who has lost family, has lost everything. Shepherds. Second phrase that interests me in this section of Scripture is in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, the angel appeared to them. Now combining that with what I just said about shepherds, it kind of blows me away to think about the fact that the very first people to find out about the birth of the Christ child were unacceptable individual shepherds. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, and he's describing Christians in the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says. He says, not many of you were wise and not many of you were influential by human standards when you came to know 
Jesus Christ as Savior. But God chose the lowly. God chose the despised of this world so that no one can boast before him. Folks, I don't know about your economic status. I don't know about the situation that you live in. I don't know uh, concerning the circumstances of your life, but I want you to understand it's not because of anything great that you have done that you hear the message of Jesus Christ. The angel came and spoke to the lowest of the low. And folks, to you and I, that gives tremendous hope. In verse 10, there's a phrase that just uh, amazes me. It says, the angel appeared to them, and he said, I have for you good news. The word is gospel. I have for you the gospel, good news of great joy. And what is that message of good news? It's simply a message that a baby has been born. Baby's been born in a manger. Lots of babies have been born uh, in Jesus' day. But a baby, the baby, the Messiah has been born. Verse 10 goes on, and he says, this good news is for who? For all people. Now that's significant, folks, because you and I didn't grow up as Jews in first uh, century Palestine. You and I grew up uh, in some other portion of the world, the United States or someplace else. But I want you to understand that it was because of that phrase that the gospel ever made it to us. Because God's good news is not just for a few people, it's for all people. Can I get an amen out of that? It's for you and it's for me. Folks, you realize that in Chester, the little village that we live in, Chester, there are 21,000 people that live in Chester. Wherever the the dividing line is for that, I don't know because we don't have corporate limits. But what I do know is only about a fourth of them, only about 5,200, go to anybody's church on any given Sunday. That means that better than 16,000 people right here in our little village of Chester are either prodigals who have one time been to church and checked out or who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Do you realize that right now today in our world there are better and 7 billion people. I was looking at the world clock the other day. Other day. Anybody ever gone on Google the world clock to see how uh, the, uh, the population of the world is increasing? Man, it's just mind-bending. Just birth after ching, 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 as it grows. But uh, last year, at the end of last year, we passed the 7 billion mark. About 2 billion uh, of people in the, United States, uh, in the world are Christians, about 2 billion. That's a, uh, an amazing. largest religion in the world uh, is Christianity. The fastest growing religion in the world uh, is conservative Christianity, and that's a remarkable thing. However, somewhere about 1 to 1.5 billion of those individuals have never even heard of Jesus, never even heard his name. They can't say it in a cuss word because they've never even heard the name of Jesus before. They've never heard a Christmas carol. They've never heard about the manger. They've never heard about the angels. They've never heard that Jesus came to die for them. Folks, the stark truth is that 16,000 people in Chester and better than 5 billion people in our world make up all the people who are either prodigals or have never heard Jesus as, uh, or accepted Jesus as Savior of their life. 
I think that causes us to ask two questions. Question number one is, do you know Jesus as Savior of your life? Folks, the reality is, unless you know him as Savior of your life, you will never have lasting joy. You might have happiness for a short period of time. You may buy into what Satan says about do this, do that, do something else, and you will find happiness. But the truth of the matter is, all happiness outside of Jesus Christ is fleeting, no matter what the world says. David says in Psalm 51, verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Have you lost the joy of your salvation today? Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, the ransom, that is the saved of the Lord, will enter Zion with singing and gladness and, will, and joy will overtake them. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you do not know Jesus as Savior of your life, there's no reason for you to leave this morning without naming him as Savior. Very simple to do that. It's based on having faith that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Do you have that is the question for you. Next thing you have to do is confess that faith before other individuals. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Have you ever done that? Confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Third, the Bible says you need to repent of your sins. To say, I am tired of going in this direction. I want to head in a different direction with my life. That's what repentance is. It's not just being sorry, sorry for what you do. It means turning in another direction. And number four, you must be baptized into Christ. At the end of the service, I'll give you the opportunity. I'll be down here at the front. I would love to meet with you and give you the chance to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Question number one, do you know Jesus as Savior? You'll never have joy unless you do. Question number two, do you care that three-fourths of the people in Chester and that better than five billion people here on this planet are lost or are prodigal? Folks, unless you care, I want you to understand that your joy is going to be very, very limited, and I'll show you why. In verse 9, it says, well, while they were there, the, I, I'm sorry, in verse 9, it says, uh, uh, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all. First reason or the first source of finding joy is finding the Savior, savior personally yourself. The second is uh, in pointing someone else to Jesus, pointing someone else to the Savior. That's what we read about in verse 17 and 18. It says, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child, and everybody who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Now this morning y'all met some modern-day shepherds, some young ladies that have, have left home and left family, and uh, both of them are better than 1,300 miles away from home, sharing the gospel with people, uh, and I want you to know, these two young ladies have never been happier in their entire lives. Is that right, Charlotte and Arthur, for your family? I know it's right for Betsy uh, and our family. They have never been more thrilled in their lives. Why? Because they're no, they know they're in the center of God's will, but they know that they have the opportunity to share the good news and point other people to the Savior every single day. You see, the happiest Christians in the world are Christians who are pointing other people to Jesus on a regular basis. And the saddest, most miserable Christians in the world are individuals who never tell anybody about Jesus. 
If you wonder why you are sad, angry, mad, bitter, or any of the above, or all of them together, can I ask you this question? When were, who are the last three people that you share the gospel with? If you can't remember, that's the reason for your anger, your bitterness, your sadness, your miserable condition. You see, the happiest Christians in the world are those uh, who are pointing people to Jesus. The most miserable are those who aren't. Why? Let me give you two words. The first word is the word missional. Missional. Christians that are following the mission that God gave them, man, they are obedient and they are thrilled with what God is doing with them in their life. Uh, Would you leave uh, Luke chapter 2 and go backwards one book to the book of uh, Mark. In the first chapter, Mark chapter 1, I'm going to be building uh, a whole sermon series, a whole study next year in the Gospel of Mark uh, to find out how Jesus discipled people and and, uh, give us some lessons about how we can do that as well. But in verse 16 and 17, we read the the, the core of what that uh, whole study is going to be about. It says in verse 16, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting net on the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, You come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. I heard Bob Russell many years ago tell a story about a group of guys from his church, Southeast Christian Church. It's the largest Christian church in, uh, in the world. They, uh, they have uh, uh, well over 20,000 in weekend worship. That's kind of incredible in Louisville, Tennessee. Uh, and Bob's retired now. But before he retired, a number of years ago, I heard him tell a story about a group of guys from his church that were going to go away on a fishing trip. And it was late, uh, late uh, winter, early spring, they were going to go on this fishing trip, and they were going to stay in a camper. Uh, uh, and the four guys are going to stay in kind of a, uh, not a big camper, but it was a camper. And so they went away, and they got there on Friday night. They were going to fish all day Saturday, all day Sunday. They weren't in church. That's probably why this happened to them. However, uh, they, they were there Friday night. Everything was wonderful. They went out to eat, came back in, and uh, they settled down in the camper. They were laughing, joking, playing cards, all that kind of stuff. They woke up the next morning to a blizzard. This is a true story, Bob says. Woke up to a blizzard. It was an ice storm. Has anybody ever had ice seal your car door shut before? Anybody ever had that happen? These guys woke up to realize that the door on the camp was sealed shut, man. I mean, it was closed shut as as it could be. They tried everything they could. They could not get the door open before cell phones, no way anybody they were just stuck and, and so they thought no problem we'll just eat breakfast uh you know we'll play some card games that kind of stuff and for long the door will open will be great well guess what it didn't happen and uh, all day they sat there and the longer they sat the angrier they got because their fishing wasn't going to take place they were there all night that night and into the next day they were sitting in the same camper these fishermen who had gone on a fishing trip and all they could do was sit around and stare at each other and get angry with each other. And they, they cussed and they fought and they were bitter individuals. And Bob says the moral of the story is this. If you're a fisherman gone on a fishing trip and you can't fish, the only thing you can do is fight. And he says... If you're a church that's been called to fish, and we all have been called to fish, and we're not fishing, all we can do is fight.
The next word that I want you to notice uh, in this uh, is the word grace. The first is missional. Uh, Christians that are missional are joyful, but people, Christians that are filled with grace are, 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 uh, are uh, just, uh, just blessed, happy, joyous people as well. Would you continue in this train? Because I find that many times during Christmas time, uh, individuals find themselves being bitter and angry with God and with people around them because of the circumstances of their life. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the Hebrew writer writes there and he, uh, and he talks about bitterness and he talks about what causes it and the result of bitterness in an individual's life. Listen to what he says. And, and if you're a bitter type of person, especially during Christmas when you see everybody else having this and that and something else and you're not getting it, listen closely to what the Hebrew writer says. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. What would cause people to miss the grace of God? He said, and that no bitter root, that's the cause, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Folks, I want you to know that bitter Christians repel lost people while gracious people draw people to Jesus. Folks, the shepherds were missional people because they went on the mission that God gave them to do and that is to spread the good news of the gospel to people around them everywhere. And they were grace-filled people. And they want to tell other people about the grace, the good news that they had received. And because of that, I can't help but believe that every one of those guys went to their deathbed with joy in their hearts not just because of what they had seen but because of the story that they had told over and over, and over, and over again. We don't know anything about any of them, but I can't wait to get to heaven because I have a feeling that some of those guys will be there and will be saying, yes, somebody else heard the story that we first began to share. Well, Betsy and Caitlin both live 1,300 miles from home in foreign countries and uh, spreading gospel. And the question is, do you have to leave home to be able to point somebody else to Jesus? And the answer to that question is no. Yes, God is calling you to But you do have to. Let me give you five ways, just really five words to help you and spread the Spread the good news. First, You to know, and you ought to be very. Are Betsy and Caitlin's number one supporting? As it should be, they're our own. We sent them out, and there's no one that is supporting them stronger than we are. But I want you to also understand that through your giving into our mission fund, we have missionaries that we support in Honduras and England and Russia and Ghana and Nepal and India and Thailand and the Philippines and many other places here in the United States. Last night at our uh, small group meeting, we brought together our packages that we were going to give uh, to our Christmas families this year. And I want to say thank you to all of the small groups that have been involved in that and, and packaging uh, presents to give away. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to be able to do that, there's a box that right as you go out the door, 
there uh, on, the, on the wall just behind the sound booth that you can drop in a contribution and we'll use that uh, to express uh, your love uh, to individuals in our community uh, this Christmas time. Number one is the word money. Number two, write down the word knees. Knees, K-N-E-E-S. John, Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to the Father unless... The, uh, the, uh, uh, come to me unless the Father draws him. I don't know how many mothers have prayed unceasingly for children to come back to Jesus when they finally did. Do you have a prayer list of three or four or five people, neighbors, if you don't make it, people that are prodigals or don't go to anybody's church, pray for them, 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 never give up. Give up. Number three is the word Hands. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 says a church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does, uh, each uh, person does its part. You know, I think it's very, very easy for individuals in a church to not see the significance of our individual efforts. You might say to yourself, well, all I do is kind of clean the floor every now and then. I just wash the bathrooms every now and then. Maybe all I do is prep communion uh, every uh, Sunday, or maybe I'm a door greeter, or all I do is just make copies here at the church, or all I do is just welcome someone, or all I do is lead a small group. It's easy to say, uh, you know, I don't see the significance of what I do. But folks, did you hear what Paul says? He says, a church grows and builds itself up in love as each person does his part. Folks, I want you to understand that what you do in this ministry is significant. You don't have a job to do in this ministry? Find one. All right, come talk to me. I'll help you find one. But I want you to understand that no matter what you do, even if you think it's very, very insignificant, I want you to understand when you do it with excellence, you spread the gospel to people that don't know it. Number four is the word heart. The word heart. John chapter 4, verse 23 says, True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and, and in truth. I pray every single Sunday morning. I prayed this morning as I circled uh, the great room this morning. I prayed that people would come with a spirit of expectancy. I prayed that we would worship this morning with passion as I pray every single Sunday morning. You know why? Because God longs for that. He longs for people that will come and will worship him out of a heart and an attitude with all that they are, not simply sitting back saying, do it for me and I'm going to watch you. Folks, do you worship with passion? Do you worship the God of the universe who sent his son to die on a cross for you? Man, worship with passion. And number five, use your mouth. Use your mouth. Invite your neighbors to come to church with you. Man, three out of four people in Chester don't go to church anywhere. The best time to invite them, uh, a second easiest service to invite people to is Christmas Eve. We're going to have Christmas Eve service on, uh, on Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock. Invite your friends to come with you. That would be fantastic. On Saturday morning, we're going to go into the community, uh, to a couple different areas, to some businesses, and to an apartment complex, and we're going to pass out cookies to people. Just put them in a bag bag, in a baggie, not a bag, in a baggie, cook them, uh, bake them yourself, all right, don't just go buy store-bought junk, uh, cook them, bake them yourself, put them in a baggie, about a dozen of them, we'll put a card inviting people to come to uh, our Christmas Eve service, and man, uh, we will look forward to that day. Well, uh, it's time for us to gather together around the Lord's table. It says in verse 19 of this passage of scripture, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things 
and she pondered them in her heart. This morning as the guys come and, uh, and the band comes to lead us uh, around the uh, Lord's table, let's give this an opportunity to ponder what the Lord has done for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you very much for the gift of your son on the cross. And Father, I thank you very much for your, the gift of your son uh, rising from the dead. But this morning, Father, during this Christmas season, we thank you for the gift of your son in the manger. Father, I pray that you take the hardest person here today and tender their, tenderize their heart as we come to this time of communion. Father, I pray that you take the person that's most nonchalant here today that just doesn't really think they need you at all. And Father, during this time of receiving the Lord's Supper, that you would, God, just capture their heart and their attention today. And Father, I pray that you would take the person that is far, far away from you that doesn't know you as Savior of their lives or who have wandered far away from you. And Father, that during this time of communion that you would somehow just, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, impact their heart and allow them to know that you truly are the God of the universe. Thank you, Father, for the bread and for the cup and for this chance that we have to remember again Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. In his name we pray, amen.